Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot. Claire Nicole here. We have a wonderful conversation for y'all today. We spoke with Dr. Audrey Young. She is a former school board member. She was a school board member in Apple Springs ISD, which is this small little district with about 200 students. And then she jumped to become a State Board of Education member, where she's representing almost 2 million constituents for District 8. So she talked to us all about just her passion and commitment to public education. This was a really cool conversation. Hello, little doggy. <laughs> Nicole, what do you got? <laughs> yes, this is real life. Yes, she's been in public education, I think she said for 29 years, which is incredible. She has a real passion for special education. And also she really helped me understand how the State Board of Education and the Texas Education Agency work side by side. And that was something that wasn't necessarily clear to me before. So she was really great at breaking down so many of these little bits of confusion I had about how the agencies work together. So it was really helpful. Definitely. I think we're trying to figure out what that structure looks like with public education, like where do state board of education members fall and school board trustee and TEA and state representatives who put into effect these laws that they have to go implement. There's a lot of moving pieces and we're hoping with this education series to block it out a little bit. So it kind of makes sense. It does. Still so much. <laughs> she threw in another one, though, that we might have to go explore, right? The SB SBEC, State Board of Educator Certification. Yeah. Whew, there's a lot. There's a lot, everybody. But Dr. Young definitely helped with this portion. Yes. So we have a nice amount. Hopefully not too. We didn't bite off too much to chew. <laughs> so sit back, listen, hope you enjoyed this one. And we're going to learn all about the State Board of Education from Dr. Audrey Young. So Dr. Young, could you just tell us a little bit about you, where you come from, and the kind of work that you're doing right now? Well, thank you for having me on the show. I just completed my 28th year in public education. So I work as the Director of Student Support Services for Nacogdoches ISD, and I oversee all things special education as well as all the therapies. I am a speech therapist by trade and taught 8th grade English language arts and reading and then became a middle school administrator and then a district director. But in that time, I also ran for my local school board and was part of my local school board at Apple Springs ISD for six years, and then ran for the State Board of Education, District 8, which I now represent, and I'm finishing my first term. How did you know that you wanted to go into education? Did you have a really impactful teacher growing up? Or I'm just curious how you found yourself in that profession. Two things happened. One, my mother is a retired area superintendent, so I grew up in this life. And secondly, in eighth grade, we had to interview somebody who worked for the school system and do like a job interview to see if that was and find out what the requirements were for education and training and stuff. And I interviewed the school-based speech therapist and thought that was the coolest job ever. 
And so I went to decide in eighth grade that that's what I was going to do. And that's what I did. And it was intentional to be in the school system. That's really interesting. I've shared in other episodes, so pardon me for repeating myself, but I taught public school for 10 years. And similarly, it's quite the family profession. My grandmother was a public school teacher. My mom was a public school teacher. My aunt was a public school teacher. My dad was also. So it's funny how it kind of runs in families. It does. We are a family full of public servants. Basically, my grandmother was a nurse. She graduated from Baylor here in Texas many, many moons ago. And then my mother actually was a nurse first before she went into education. And then both of my daughters are in health career fields. My sister's in law enforcement. My husband is in law enforcement. We just believe in serving the community by education, by health, and by safety. That's so great. And is your family all kind of East Texas based? Is that We are. The majority of us live over here in this area. We do have some family in San Angelo, and we do have some family in the Waco area as well. Okay. Just curious. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I love that. We'll get into school board and SBOE, but was there anyone in your family that had run for office, or were you the first one? I'm actually the first person to run for office. And that too was something that was happened because I had a great teacher, Mr. Mason Wooden, He was my eighth grade social studies teacher, encouraged me to run for student council president. And from that point forward, I was, you know, class representative and did all of the things. And just for anyone who doesn't know that when you agree to be class representative, uh, student council president, you may end up with planning your high school reunions. And that is the gift that keeps on giving. So if you thought it ended at your senior year of high school, you were wrong. That's hilarious. I am now planning the 30-year class reunion (laughs) several years past the 30-year mark. So uh, that's so funny. My friend. The 20th, (laughs) now the 30th. (laughs) My friend got a DM from our class president asking if she wanted to co-host with her and help her plan. Yes. My friend, though, said, I will pass. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for the opportunity. (laughs) So leadership was something that I invested in and I had a teacher invest in quite some time ago. I had an excellent example, obviously, my own mother, and it's just kind of followed me ever since. Yeah. Yeah. I I always like to think like, what are the little breadcrumbs that lead people to where they are now? And it's interesting for you as you're watching your mother as a superintendent and then serving yourself back in high school. And then little did you know was preparing you for bigger and better things. Maybe not better, but greater things down the road. (laughs) So for school board, what made you decide you wanted to try running for school board? So I was having a discussion. I had been in public education for 20 years at that point and was having a discussion with a family member and said, you know, maybe one day I'd like to run for school board when I retire. But that conversation was overheard and someone showed up at my house with an application for school board and said, hey, they have open positions right now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, oh, maybe you missed the when I'm retired part. So Mm -hmm. I went ahead and applied. And I'll tell you what, this is an example of when every vote counts. It was a little tiny community and there were four seats open. Nine people ran, which is like everybody in the community. (laughs) And (laughs) the two seats were tied for seats three and four. And that was with me and another young man named Daniel. And we tied for third and fourth seats. And we only beat the person in the fifth place by three votes. Wow. Three votes. 
we went unopposed from that point forward, but that was a tight race. And so that was an example of getting out, shaking people's hands, mm-hmm. attending the candidate forums, making sure that people knew who I am and what I stand for and ensuring that I had the opportunity to serve the community of Apple Springs ISD in Trinity County. Wow, that's amazing. Was there something that like a particular issue or matter that made you want to run for this position? Like, was there something you were wanting to change within the school system in Apple Springs ISD at that time? It's interesting that you asked that question because most people do run on what I call their soapbox, right? Most people run with an idea in mind that they're going to hire the next superintendent or the next athletic director or get rid of some teacher they don't like. (laughs) No, I ran because there had never been an educator on the board at Apple Springs ISD ever in the history of Apple Springs ISD. And I just had an interest in it. Being a district director, I had the administrative point of view. I'd been a classroom teacher, you know, itinerant with my speech therapy So I had a pretty good idea of the inner workings of the school system from the inside. I was really curious as to what the workings are from the outside, from the school board down, because they have one employee and that's the superintendent. Mm -hmm. And so you adopt policy and you work with the superintendent on processes and procedures and budget and those elements. And those are things that I had not experienced in my time in education. I want to pull back just a little bit because I feel like this is something That is news to me. I'm the less sort of experienced in this world, one of the duo of us. And so I still find it surprising when I hear that people who serve on committees like that don't necessarily have an education background, that that's not a requirement. So can you tell me, like, who does serve then? Is it just sort of who steps forward? Can it be any person? Who are those people? Yeah. What are those barriers, if any? Sure. <laughs> so thank you for asking that question. I actually wrote my dissertation on school oh, boards yeah. and the superintendent and pulled that data as part of my dissertation. People run for all different reasons, as it entertains your question previously, Claire. And Nicole, all types of people run. So oftentimes, as we've already discussed, you know, there are people who run who have their reasons for running, right? So it could be somebody's grandpa because they want to give their grandson their high school diploma when they cross that stage. We were very fortunate in Apple Springs ISD. We had such a well-rounded board because it takes all kinds of people from all different walks and all different areas of expertise to really manage a school district or at least manage the superintendent who manages the school district to make sure that it's running efficiently. So if you have too many of one kind, right, you have too many teachers or educators on the board, then you've got people who are looking at curriculum and teacher classroom management and all those kind of things very closely. But then who's looking at maintenance and facility? Who's looking at transportation? Who's looking at all the other, you know, element budget? You know, who's looking at all of those things? Who on your board represents those things? And so we were very fortunate in Apple Springs. We had a banker. We had an engineer. We had a stay-at-home mom, we had a local pastor, we had an electrician, quite the gamut that just helped cover all of the areas that were of interest. And people of all ages run. So essentially the basic minimal requirement in the state of Texas that you have to be 18, you have to be eligible to vote in the district in which you're running or for the seat that you're running for. And so that means that you had to have your voter's registration at least six months, maybe a year before applying to run for that position. 
And in order to be a registered voter, you have to meet that criteria. So you can't be a convicted felon. Mm -hmm. Got it. But you don't have to have a high school diploma and you don't have to have a college degree and you don't have to have any other additional educational requirements. What's so interesting about this to me is I realize how limited my point of view is, right? Which is why these conversations are so great because I always come at it from that teacher point of view because that's what I used to do and because that's who I'm related to. And so I always think, well, what can other people have to offer? But it's because I'm taking such a narrow view and I forget the things that you pointed out, facilities and maintenance and transportation and the things that, of course, are so important to the efficient running of a school district and the effective running of a school district. It's just, I forget. Yeah, there's just so much more to it. And so we were always really thankful. The banker on our board at Apple Springs ISD, she was just phenomenal in knowing Um, the coding and understanding, you know, state funds and federal funds and where those funds can be spent and they can't be spent. And so it was really good to have someone who we could lean on who understood that element of it. So if let's say you run for school board, you don't really have a strong background in education, you're on the dais, how do you catch up to speed and know what is a good or bad decision or better decision, I guess I should say? Right. So it does require a lot of background knowledge, right? It does require a lot of reading your board documents prior to the meeting, taking that time. And most school districts provide those to their board members a week in advance. It gives the board member that opportunity to reach out to some of those people who they feel are experts in that area, some of their own little personal team of folks that they rely on to help bring them up to speed. It is a lot to learn. So if you are not in education, and you are not familiar with the jargon, the language, the acronyms, <laughs> all of the different elements. I call them baby board members, and I, it doesn't matter what age you are. <laughs> if you're a baby board member, you're really just taking in a whole lot of information. And remember, most boards just have an official, like one major board meeting a month. Some meet weekly for finance, and they meet another week for whatever reason, but they have one major board meeting a month. That's only 12 meetings in a year. And that's a lot of information to learn in a very short period of time, right? It's like taking multiple college courses in all of these different areas and trying to be successful at the end of that year, knowing that you're making budgets that not only impact or making decisions that not only impact the children of the school district, but the staff and the overall financial health of the district as well. What does that time commitment look like? Or what did it look like for you when you were a school board member? Okay, so as a school board member in Apple Springs, which is a wee tiny baby school, little tiny school district, we are a 1A school district with essentially one campus, 215 students, pre-K through 12. That is a little tiny baby school district. So the time management for that was very reasonable. You could spend as much time digging in as you wanted to, or really the information for a school district of that size, the budget is so much smaller. We know all the staff members by name. My husband, on the other hand, is a school board member at Conroe ISD. He lives in in Montgomery County and serves, they have 69,000 students, 67 school campuses. Wow. 10,000 employees. Like there's no way to know the name of every staff member. There's no way. Their buses drive 3 million miles a year. So just that comparison alone, when we have those conversations, it's 
So what does it look like for a board member or for a board member at a 1A school district? I have time not only to read my board documents, but to attend every single event and to go to the mm-hmm. six-man football game on Friday night <laughs> and to be there the next morning and watch the track and, you know, cross-country run or whatever. In a large school district, which Conroe is, I believe, the ninth largest school district in the state of Texas. So you've got eight other school districts that are mm-hmm. even bigger than that. It's a full-time job. It's a full-time volunteer job. Right. right. And are, is this a paid position? <laughs> it is not. It is a paid position. So local school boards are paid are unpaid positions. It's volunteer. People do it out of the goodness of their heart. And you have to have some level of altruism in order to really want to do something good for someone, whether it's a lot of someones or just a few someones, in order to invest that time of mental energy and emotional energy and a lot of times financial energy. You know, nobody pays for your gas to get show up at the board meetings or to show up at any of those games. You don't get reimbursement for any of those things. You buy T-shirts and fundraisers from the students and that kind of thing. You know, it's there's no budget for that. You just that comes out of pocket. So Mm -hmm. if you're lucky, you might get a UIL card and get into games or, (laughs) you know, somebody might give you a T-shirt you get to wear once a year or something. But (laughs) Yeah, not a big benefit package there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. So I hope I answered your question. Well, yeah, I mean, it's shocking to me because it's different state by state is my understanding. Some states do pay, I don't think a lot, but something to their school board members. Do you know so, what Texas decided not to? So I can speak to that. The state of Florida actually pays their school board members. There are 60, 64 or 67 counties in the state of Florida. Counties, right? Each county in the state of Florida is represented only by one school board and by one superintendent. 42 of those counties have elected superintendents. Oh, that's different. It's an elected position. The others have appointed positions, but the school board members are all paid, and they're all paid the base salary rate, as well as insurance and retirement benefits and any other additional benefits that their local school district provides to them. So you Hmm. basically are earning teacher retirement. The school board trustees. Yes, the trustees. Okay. For every year that you are a school board member. The state of Louisiana also provides um, some levels of stipends and reimbursements as well as the state of Mississippi. So let's say you're on the board of trustees there. You're not necessarily paid for being a trustee member, but if you oversee the health committee or you oversee the budget and finance committee or you oversee some committees, there are some stipends, $500 to $1,500 to $2,500 that are tied to that. So there's a reimbursement of sorts. Can you talk about some of maybe the advantages and disadvantages of these kinds of systems? Because I'm, I mean, I've got some things that are flaring off in my head. Right. But I'm curious. Yeah. In Florida, obviously, the school board races are highly competitive. It's a paid position, not a bad part time gig if you're going to get paid base teacher salary, right? And however, like in the state of Texas, you know, we are volunteers. And so you get what you vote for and sometimes what you pay for. So you have the gamut. You have some really phenomenal trustees who understand their role and their position for the board who work well with their superintendent or work well for the staff and students of their community. And then we have other board members who are not as well trained, who are there for their personal reasons and probably have a very narrow focus as to what their own purpose for being on the board is. So you're going to have the wide range. 
And I guess those obstacles Mm -hmm. or those challenges are going to be present whether people are paid or not. That is correct. It almost sounds like it's almost about, it has a huge effect on how competitive some of these races. And there are, you know, most recently in the state of Texas, some of these local school board races have really heated up. I mean, they have, people have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars campaigning for a free position for an unpaid volunteer position. Yes. That you cannot make any decision individually. You Mm -hmm. have to then be able to have influence with your board members for any of the topics or subjects of interest that you have in order to have something pass, because you have to have a minimum of four votes. That's a really important point that I don't think I was aware of is that, yeah, you can't be a one person operation machine. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I can yeah. come in full bore, all excited. You know, I'm going to advocate for all the special ed kids and make sure everybody has whatever it is, right? Pick something, you know, everybody gets a pink umbrella if you're in special ed, you know, <laughs> but I'm just one person. So unless I convince three other people that that's just as important to them mm. as it is to me, then that's not going to happen. And that's the biggest part of learning how to work as a team when you're on a school board. Yeah. So if you want to run, try to have a team player mentality, it sounds like. Absolutely. Or at least if you don't have a team player mentality, at least ensure that you have some like-mindedness with other Mm. people who are either currently on the board or who aren't, or who are also running at the same time as you, but maybe for a different seat, obviously not your same seat that you're running so that you know that there's going to be the ability to influence and make change. Right. Yeah. I'm just thinking about if the potential conflict that could arise if people are not on the same page and how I'm, I'm sure some of these meetings can just last for hours and hours and hours and hours. And they do. And you and don't get do. any money. Yes. <laughs> and you're there for free. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're lucky, your school district, you know, actually provides you dinner. Right. In Apple Springs, we are so family-like, family-oriented that we just signed up month to month and we brought our dinner for everybody <laughs> else. Potluck. So, oh, like potluck, yeah. yeah. At Christmas time, it was potluck. So, yeah, you know, it's just in Apple Springs. I mean, we don't even have stoplights. So it's not like you can run to a restaurant or order something in. We don't have DoorDash or Mm. Uber (laughs) Eats or anything. So, yeah, that's how we functioned at Apple Springs. But that's a very small school district, whereas in the really large school districts, they they actually get a pretty decent meal. Yeah. That's another benefit. If anything, I mean, that's the least you can get. Right. At least you get some dinner. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. So I'd like to transition into SBOE or State Board of Education. So you're serving as a school board trustee. When did you decide I'd like to try to make the leap and be an SBOE representative? So I had the opportunity during my doctoral program at Stephen F. Austin State University to complete a political educational internship with Representative Trent Ashby. And he is my representative in this area. And so I was able to work with him in that internship. And at that time, he asked the question, like you ask any kid in school, right? (laughs) Ultimately, what do you want to do? And I said, well, you know, I understand that the highest level of volunteerism in the state of Texas for education is the state board. And maybe one day I'd like to run for the state board. And he said, well, you know, there's a state board race that's going on right now you should pay pretty close attention to. Mm -hmm. And at that time... It was Dr. Kevin Ellis, who is our chair of the state board, and he was running for the first time for state board as well. So I did pay very close attention. I knew my state board member representative at the time was Barbara Cargill. And so I reached out to her and just told her, you know, I would never run against you ever. (laughs) 
But if at any time you think you might not run, I sure would Mm. like to be your girl. Oh, wow. And so that process in itself was very interesting, um, quite arduous to convince people that you're the person for that seat and that you have the mindset, the attitude, the ability, the energy, the intelligence to make these decisions and to move Texas education forward. And so anyway, she let me know that she was going to be retiring from the state board. Her husband had retired from his job and she had promised him that she would join him. And and we went from there. And so I went from, you know, representing 215 kids <laughs> to <laughs> 1.9 million constituents across 11 different counties. Wow. It's been quite the adventure. Wow. And Dr. Young, when you were saying you were needing to convince people that you were the one, you were the, mm-hmm. it was a, for you to run, are you talking about who is that that you're convincing at that point? Was that constituents or was that the party? That was partially the party because the other thing is, is that the state board is a partisan position. Unlike local school boards, those are not partisan positions. State board is. And so part of that was convincing the party. The other part was just convincing players in the large influencers, so for lack of a better term, those who had influence over large bodies of collective individuals, right? Got it. So, so who would endorse you? Essentially, yes. Okay. Or at least okay. spread the word. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Whether they made a large and public endorsement or whether, you know, it was something like she's been in education a long time and she does a really good job. And we think that she'd be great at understanding the plight of the teachers. So, you know, when you get somebody who's an influential person over just just different factions of folks, that's who it was that I was having conversations with so that I could reach a lot of people in a short period of time. Yeah. So they could amplify. Right. It sounds like. Yeah. So why are school board races nonpartisan and SBOE is partisan? That's the law. It's that's legislation. I don't know why it's separate like that. I know that other boards of education in other states are appointed by the governor. And I know here in the state of Texas at one time it was as well. So there's always that. Yeah. (laughs) There's so many quirky things. There are. There's a lot of differences, differentiality between the states as far as local boards, as well as their boards of education. So in the state of Texas, it's a partisan election and in local races, it is not. Interesting. Yeah. We spoke to another woman recently who's running for Austin ISD and we were talking about TEA And she was telling us that the education commissioner is appointed. In other states, are they elected? Or do you know if that's pretty consistently an appointed position? Pretty consistently, that is a placed position one way or another, whether it's actually, you know, advertised and people apply for it. It still is Mm. a highly selective position and normally works very close with the governor of the state. So, okay. Yeah. Now I didn't even realize like some positions could flip back and forth. So I'm like, oh, yes, in this state. (laughs) Yes. But speaking of TEA, how does SBOE work with TEA? Or can you just take a step back and tell us what TEA is, what their role is regards to public education? Sure. TEA is a Texas education agency and they oversee everything education in the state of Texas. They have many different areas that they cover. 
as far as in particular, the one that I deal with is special education mostly, but they cover everything for the state of Texas. And so there's departments for every single element within education that it's a huge agency. And then the State Board of Education works closely with TEA in that we both, both entities, the State Board as well as TEA, both have to put into place what legislation decides. Okay. So it's our job, both SBOE and TEA, to place rule, to place procedures, to adopt policy related to any legislative changes or updates or requirements. In addition to that, it's also just maintaining the withitness of education, right? So, you know, we're not still using desktop computers from 1995. You know, there's the constancy of keeping up with education and TEA oversees all of those areas as well. And the state board also has the responsibility of updating the Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills, which is our leading the elements that we use for curriculum and educating the children in the state of Texas, updating those on a cyclical basis. And so they're on a calendar. This is when we look at it. Unless legislation tells us, no, no, you're not going to wait until 2026 to look at this. We need you to look at this now. Oh, so they can pass a bill to push it so that you have to take it up sooner? Or how does that work? They can pass legislation that says we need to take a closer look at something. So okay. most recently, let's say, I don't have any doubt. Predictively, I'll say it's going to be safety in the 88th legislation. Mm, and sure. that might be something, and I'm just throwing this out there, that might be something that's not on our cycle to look at until, again, I'll use 2026. Legislation is going to say, mm, no, we need to look at this now. Okay. Health and wellness. That came out of the 86 legislation. It happened that it was on the cycle at that time anyway. And so actually they had just reviewed it. They had actually just reviewed it. So we went back and updated a few things based on that legislation. Okay. My brain's trying to organize this. So can I check in? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I guess the way I'm understanding it is that sort of TEA, the Texas Education Agency, and the State Board of Education works side by side. We, it's not necessarily parallel. that one is above, right? Mm-mm. They're side by side. Okay. And no, then, we, mm-hmm. so go ahead. No. Well, because the commissioner, it's not like a superintendent and school board, right? It's not like the school board is over the superintendent. And the superintendent does all the things. Mm-hmm. We're here because we're an elected body overseeing the Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills and all the other legislation that the state says that we need to oversee. The commissioner is an appointed position equivalent to us. And so when he is given legislation that he has a draft and adopt and write rule and put into place and stuff, we cross-reference that information Mm -hmm. to ensure that we're working together and not against each other in ensuring that both bodies are providing what the state of Texas needs in education as a whole. Okay. And then I also want to clarify this too. So the side-by-side SBOE, State Board of Education, and Texas Education Agency, and then within the Texas Education Agency, because it has so much that it covers and regulates, there's a whole bureaucracy within the TEA that oversees and supervises all of those different things that it covers. Right. 
because it covers okay. everything, right? But the State Board of Education doesn't have like a bureaucratic part. It's the board. And mm-hmm. okay, got it. Got it. <laughs> so what was the learning curve like jumping from school board to SBOE? So as I had mentioned before, and I'm going to give you a little visual example, yeah. this would have been like my board book papers for Apple Springs, right? My little baby school district, you know, might be for 12. people who aren't watching this on YouTube. This is have, maybe like a 10 page packet of maybe, papers. Maybe, right. This. <laughs> <laughs> I feel as if she's grabbing something heavy, everybody. This is what a board packet looks like for <laughs> state board. And it's a giant so, binder for those it, hundreds who are and not hundreds watching. and yeah. hundreds of pages, probably that's close like a to what, four inch binder. Them, but... Like that's one yes. of those that and like, you stuff. have to pull like, it I got back papers and... flying out of it. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So time consumption is was probably the largest one. Now, had I come from a really big school district, that probably would have seemed normal. Mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate. I'm in education. So I know what TEKS are. I know the language, yeah. the lingo, the acronyms. I know all the things related to education. So none of that. I know how to open up a teacher's guide. And I was going to show you one, but I know what I'm looking at. Right. I don't have to learn any of those things. Learning to get along with others (laughs) so that we come to shared understanding so that we can make positive change in Texas is really what my learning curve has been. Mm. Who is it that I'm working with? I'm no longer working on a seven-member board, eight, including your superintendent. I'm on a 15-member board along with your commissioner of education as an additional element, right? Okay. So you have to have majority vote. Okay. And so... Does the education commissioner vote on items too? No, but you often want to know what direction or what idea the commissioner has, you know, especially in relation to any legislation that has come through. You want to make sure that you're jiving with what's going on. Or not. Most recently, you know, we went through the State Board of Educators Certification, SBEC, which is an appointed body, and they were looking at teacher certification, Mm. a new level of teacher certification, and it had to go through SBOE, and we voted it, we sent it back and said, no, I don't think that that's conducive to what needs to be done in order to ensure that we have quality teachers in the state of Texas. So that's been pushed back, and it's being looked at. Mm -hmm. That's an example of the way that the state board has to work with other entities within TEA as well. So we're going from like a 10 page, catch you up to speed to thousands of pages. Surely this position's paid, right? No, surely not. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why I work my my other job. Right. I work so I can volunteer. That's not the first time we've heard that. Maybe that's <laughs> going to be our theme for this series, right? Yes. There, I yeah. So I can series. volunteer. It's yes. true. I love public education and I wouldn't do what I do if I didn't love it. And so, like I said, I, this starts my 29th year in public education. And I have just my whole heart in what happens with the children of the state of Texas. And being on the state board has been rewarding on so many levels and also just highly challenging. You know, I'm no longer hearing from a dozen people about a topic. I'm hearing from thousands of people Mm -hmm. about a topic. So learning curve, you know, check my email regularly. If not, I'll have 3000 emails in my inbox in three days and I didn't even realize it. 
And that is completely up to you to respond to. That is correct. That's completely no up assistant. to me to respond There's to. There's no office. It is yeah. you. Do you, have, you don't have wow. staff or anyone? There are TEA staff. That part of their assignment is the state board. That is not okay. their full assignment. So they prepare our meetings for us. They prepare our agendas. They help answer questions. Mm-hmm. They you know, lead the work committees that help update the TEKS. And they lead the work committees that look review curriculum and instructional materials. But babysitting us is not their full-time job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. They're wow. not sifting through your emails for you and telling you what's, no, <laughs> what to no. pay attention to and whatnot. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. No. I get to do that all on my own. Well, thank you for doing it. Yes. No kidding. <laughs> I, yes. It's there it. are times when it's really entertaining. I will receive a bunch of emails related to something very specific for SBOE, right? So it's right on target. It's something that, you know, I need to prepare an answer for. It makes me think. Then other times I get like these chain emails about the salmon in the rivers of a pollute, some polluted water stuff. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, but that's out of the purview of the State Board of Education. Right. Let me refer you to someone who can help you with that. <laughs> so well, you're nice to even take the time for that. I try to. I really do try to. That sounds like a delete one for me. But. <laughs> yeah. I really do try to take the time to respond to as many of the emails as I possibly can. Um, oftentimes there's like today I looked at my box and I probably got 200 emails and they essentially all say wow. the same thing, mm-hmm. right? It's all about a particular topic and their position on that topic. And so I'll prepare an answer that mm-hmm. I'll, that I will then just share along and along and along and along got it. so okay. that they know that I have read what they've asked so that they know my position on it and we'll go from there. So I've learned to speed that up. A little bit. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, (laughs) you've recognized that you don't need to recreate an individual answer every time. That makes no sense. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Now, I do, if a constituent is asking something very specific, I do try to take the time to make sure that I, that in addition to maybe my, you know, generic response that I'm providing, that I also respond very specifically about, about that. There are a lot of fun things about the State Board of Education that we also get to do. This is the other thing that I've learned. I get letters from children. I get letters from uh, young men who become Eagle Scouts. And we also recently just awarded what's called the Student Hero Award. And those are students that are recognized in their districts. And one from every SBOE district is chosen. So we just announced 15 student heroes. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have the same thing with volunteers. There's a volunteer of the year award as well. And so we get to present those plaques and medals and different elements. We get invited to graduations to give out some diplomas. That's a nice thing to get to do. And so there are some other fun things that we get to do as part of providing service to our community. Yeah, you are very busy. And this I am is very busy. And, and it's not even your paid position. No. It sounds like. <laughs> well, going back to your the paid work that you do, I mean, you've been in education a long time. Can you tell us <laughs> which is great. I'm sure that knowledge has really helped guide the decisions that you're making. But how has ed- education changed? I guess 10 years back, 20 years back. Is it significantly different now? I'm just curious. I have a child that's going to start school soon. So like, I'm, it's fresh on my mind, but <laughs> I'm curious what it's been like leading up to this point. I would have to say that nearly 30 years ago, we really focused on the core areas, reading, writing, math, 
science and social studies, right? We were really focused on the academics of education. And then, you know, they tossed in some fun, like PE, <laughs> choir, band, those kind of activities. And home economics is what it used to be called. Not, you know, we don't call that I anymore. I loved home ac. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I learned to iron and to sew and to make macaroni and cheese. It was awesome. Yes. yes. <laughs> and so we took typing class and so we learned to type. There are a lot of things that we have moved away from in that, or we have piled on top of. Mm. And we have, education has come to educating what we now call the whole child. And so we have wrapped in counseling efforts and family mitigation efforts and social work and all, you know, nursing and all of the additional things. I remember my mother, you know, picking me up from school and taking me to the health department to get my vaccinations for school. We now have school districts. We offer them. We have picked up so many of the additional responsibilities that parents used to handle or manage on their own. I believe that at times, because we expect so much of school districts, we are unable to accomplish the task completely. Hmm. It does and seem like one different. of those things where a lot rolls kind of downhill to education, right? It just... Right. It's Education right. has to pick up the slack. Yeah, education. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just sure. saying, like, answering to your question, what the difference is 30 years ago to now. You know, I had a mom stop by my office earlier and pick up some paperwork for, you know, her student mm. in relation to their necessity for a private nurse that attends school. And so... That's something that has happened just in the last five years or so. I mean, there's just so many additional things that public school has taken on. We have lost some of the focus on the core curriculums and are, I think that we are now figuring out that it's time to start steering us back in that direction. Hmm. So we have students now that are learning phonics when we had cut out phonics several years ago when the state of Texas inherited, you know, took on whole language. We have <sighs> sure. students that are going to take their tests now on computer. We haven't taught them typing. So we're going to have a bunch of hunters and peckers. Mm -hmm. you know? right. So now we're going to have to go back to teaching typing. We had students graduating from high school that didn't know what a signature was. Because we cut out cursive, cursive. writing yeah, in yeah. third grade. So when... It's interesting. It sounds like education now is expected to provide so much more beyond ABCs and one, two, threes, like feeding kids, vaccinating kids, more of the social safety net that I don't know if it was there before and it went away or maybe it was never there. But have we kept up with fund? Like, do schools have the more funding for these things or are they just having to figure it out with what they have? So some of the legislation comes as unfunded mandates. And like most recently in the 86 legislation, it was changed that school counselors, if your job description is school counselor, you are to be providing 80% counseling to students and 20% other work, hmm. right? So many school districts, because of state testing and because of the 504 and response to intervention programs, had also utilized their counselors in those manners as well. Because they're auxiliary staff, right? They're staff that's not in the classroom with a bunch of students, but we have all of these other student needs that have to be met. 
So who do you give that work to? Well, to the counselor. And so, but the legislation changed and said, no, 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 you can't do that anymore. We have students that need some counseling and we need you to focus on getting that done. So some but of those, you're saying that was unfunded. Yeah, so, what so would that's unfunded. Be great is like I think yes, do so that. Now but we pick need up somebody to other... administrate. Right, testing. Yeah. Who's going to pick that's... up all the other duties? Right. Yeah. Now who's going to be your test administrator? Now who's going to take care of some of those other things that the counselors have been? Again, I'm not saying whether that was right or wrong. I'm just, right. that's an example of sort of an unfunded mandate. They didn't say, poof, your counselors are now going to counsel 80% of the time and 20% of the time you can have them do whatever else that you need them to do, lunch duty, bus duty, whatever. And, but we're also going to give you, you know, $100,000 so you can hire two more people to help pick up all the other things that the council won't be able to do anymore. Yeah. That didn't happen. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> shocked unfunded mandates are allowed. That's crazy to me. Yeah. That- they can make the rules, but you have to figure out how you're going to implement the rules. And it's going to, I'm sure many times, mean sacrificing certain things to implement that rule. So an example <laughs> of that was maybe the 83rd or 84th legislation. It was quite some time ago. They legislated that school buses had to have safety belts, seat belts, right? I mean, did y'all ride the school bus when you were a kid? We didn't have a seat okay. belt. No. no, we just no, bounced no. around everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, that came through, but that was an unfunded mandate. So wow. what happened was then they kind of tweaked it and said, well, all school buses that all new school buses ordered from this particular year when this went into effect forward <sighs> must be built with or purchased with seatbelts. Because old schools like Apple Springs who have school buses that are 20 years old, we were going to have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to retrofit our school buses with seatbelts if that was the mandate for all school buses right here and now. But it was tweaked a little bit so that it allowed school buses. And that's really large school districts that buy buses, you know, 30, 40, 50 buses a year, you know, and and rotate theirs out. But then there's little tiny school districts like Apple Springs who <laughs> buses that are from the late 1990s. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my brain is spinning. Yeah. So that's, a, that's yeah, an unfunded yeah. mandate, you know, changing the amount of time that the guidance counselor has available to the campus for other reasons. That's an unfunded mandate. So that, uh-huh. that's two examples, like one in transportation, one in education. Yeah. Well, it makes me think, so when the state is making these decisions, are you in communication with those representatives saying, by the way, this is going to have this fallout? Like, who's talking to them, providing that guidance on education? Yes. So oftentimes our superintendents try to pay very close attention to proposed legislation. And so in that particular case, you know, I wrote a long letter to Senator Nichols explaining to him the impact that it would have on Apple Springs ISD and other like school districts. However, nobody wants to stand up there and say, no, my kids don't need seatbelts. Right. Like you, you don't want to be that person either, right? right? Like, what's right. the fastest way to get unelected from a school board, right? Our kids will be fine. Pass out a roll of duct tape. We'll just tape them to the seats. So, oh, yeah. You know, it's a yeah. Velcro. Everybody 
get stuck on the seat. So it makes me think of the pilot shortage that we're having right now, how bad travel is, right? And part of it's the pilot shortage and the fact that you need 1500 hours of flying hours. Yes. It's a huge number, but who wants to say, maybe we don't need that much. I mean, other countries have less. The minute the accident happens, it's game over. Exactly. Right. So you don't want to be that person that's like, you know, why do I kids need seatbelts? But then you also Mm -hmm. want to be like, you have to pay attention to the budget within our district. You're going to require something that we don't have the funds set aside to pay for. Fascinating. Always. The inner workings, the inner workings, I'll tell you what. I'm curious about testimony. So when you were a school board member, I'm sure parents, community members testified before you and same as an SBOE member. How impactful is testimony in your decision-making process? Testimony, as well as the written testimony, like written word to me, the emails that I receive and that, that kind of thing, which I feel is another form of testimony, right? It's impactful in the sense that it gives you the opportunity to hear it from someone who either has a passion about it or actually has some expert knowledge in the field. And so sometimes that that carries a weight of persuasion. And so it's important if you know about this topic, if that is something that you do, or if that's something that your child did, or something that, that you know had a change of some kind, negative, be it negative or positive, Share that, be vocal about it, because it might also help aid in the decision, not only the decision that's being made, but sometimes when I say, when I talked about that previous legislation about the seatbelts, you know, what we did, we shared some concerns. And so they tweaked it to make Mm -hmm. it accessible to all in that sense. They didn't add any money to it, but they fixed it so that school districts weren't out of compliance if their buses were older than, you know, a certain age. And so, yeah. Testimony also provides that help as well, because you're hearing it from another lens or a different perspective. And if someone has that, then you're able to sometimes, you know, add something else in addition to that rule or into that policy, or maybe adopt an additional piece that that helps it become, you know, complete mm-hmm. and helpful to everyone. Yeah, I think that's good to know, because Nicole and I talk about how it's easy to feel powerless and like, my opinion doesn't matter. I'm not even going to vote. But to know that there are these tools available to you to be heard and that it could make an impact on the person making the decision is a good reminder. Maybe you can't be there in person, write an email. Right. Do what you can to speak out. Right. And I get emails that they'll say, I'm a teacher in such and such district and I teach such and such and such. And the State Board of Education is looking at updating this particular TEAK and I happen to teach that one and this is what I do in my classroom. Here's how it could be better or here's how if you change it to this, it's going to make this impact happen. Those are examples that are really good at providing us a perspective that we may not have. I'm very fortunate. I can walk right outside my building to the elementary school across the street and take a look at how something that we've decided impacts Mm -hmm. the state, but not everyone has that opportunity. What are you going to say, Nicole? Well, no, I was just going to say we've had such a good run of public servants who are very pragmatically showing how they listen to people. And I want to just keep highlighting that as much as we can, because I think it's really easy to tip into cynicism and feel like people aren't listening, but it's so not true. (laughs) People are listening. And yeah, don't assume. Don't assume. Try, try, (laughs) try, try, try. Try and ask questions. That's the biggest thing. I think probably some of the hardest things that I've come across is the misinformation and having to get people to backpedal 
when misinformation has shared and then and to be able to publicly correct that information because it can have just a connotation to it that could be positive or it could be negative, but it might be hurtful in a situation that it needs to be helpful instead. Yeah, that's such a great reminder. We'll wrap up with one or two more questions, but I'm curious. This is a question I asked one of our last guests, but I thought it was really helpful to hear her answer. So you do a lot, obviously, with public education and making sure that students have the best experience they can. What would you tell, you know, parents are really busy. They have a lot going on. They're working, raising their kids. What's the one thing you think parents could do that would help their child's education? Where should our focus be? My biggest piece of advice for parents is to find something at the school that you can volunteer for, whether it's be part of the PTA or PTO, whether it's to be part of the Student Health Advisory Council or committee, whether it's Paw Patrol in the morning where they, you know, you're just a volunteer parent that helps kids get in and out of cars. It helps you not only your own child, but all the other children be the classroom mom or the classroom dad. See if there's volunteer opportunities to come read a book to the kids, whether it's in the library or, you know, on Read Across America Day. Pay attention to what's going on on the website and you know, make sure that you do your part in reading your child's folder when it comes home and signing the papers and being engaged just as regularly as you possibly can so that the teacher is familiar with you, the class is that your, your child is comfortable with you being on in that educational atmosphere and understands you're there to support them in that. That's making those connections and building those relationships. Oh, yeah. I think that's so important, especially now going back to asking questions and being curious. Some parents are deciding where they're going to send their child to school. And I'm on a part of a lot of mom groups that will say, should I send my child to this overcrowded, highly rated school or this less well-rated school that has better student-to-teacher ratio? And I'm like, you should go tour the school. You should go talk to the people working there because you don't, that's not really a great snapshot until you actually experience it yourself and know if that's going to be a good fit for your family or not. So that's always my advice. That's great advice. I also say, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. We have some elementary schools that are pretty sad looking on the outside or even on the inside. Yeah. They have some of the greatest teachers in those classrooms and some of the most phenomenal administrators. So yeah, I say, you know, tour the school, but don't, again, just because the paint on the wall is ugly or the carpet's a little dirty, that it's not what impacts your child's education. It's mm-hmm. the teachers in those classrooms. Yeah. And you just want to ensure that they're receiving the best education. Yeah. Do you have any final questions, Nicole? I have one. I don't. I'm just soaking it in. So you go ahead. <laughs> well, I just wanted to wrap up by asking, what are maybe one or two things that you wish people knew about your work as an SBOE member that they probably have no clue about? It is hugely time consuming and it does take a deep level of passion in order to do the job well, making those connections, reaching out to people, listening to constituents, taking time to get to know people and their causes and what it is that they stand for. That has been probably the largest part for me for SBOE since I'm already in education. So I thoroughly, I just enjoy it. I truly do love the process of updating the TEKS and choosing curriculum and imparting those, that wisdom on the teachers and staff. 
mm-hmm. of Texas. I did actually yeah. think of a final question. Oh, yes. Yeah, it was is earlier when you said how much you love public education. And I wanted you just to kind of speak to that a little bit. What is it that you love? And what do you like, if you could impart that love and passion to others, what would you say? It's incredibly rewarding, to, no matter how hard it actually is to get up every day and to come to work early in the morning. When I was a middle school administrator, you know, I would shut down the gym on Thursday night at midnight <laughs> or at 11 o'clock. And anybody who didn't get picked up by their parent, I drove them home. And then I was back on bus duty, you know, at 645 in the morning there. Wow. Yeah. Um, and there's just a love in it because, you know, you're doing right by children and you're doing the right thing and you're ensuring that they have a safe place mm-hmm. to be educated and to discover their passion and what they want to be when they grow up and to be able to watch that happen and know that you're just a little tiny piece of making the world better mm-hmm. in public education. You can watch that happen. Yay. Yes. Uh, we warm feelings. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. Well, Dr. Yug, we're very appreciative of the work you do as an SBOE member. Because even though I'm not in your district, you still represent Nicole and I as Texans. Yeah. And we're both moms with kids in school. So we're great, very grateful that you do this work. And it's a fun little send off. We were just going to do our attention mentions, which is where we mention something that we can't get out of our mind that we have to mention to the world. So it can be an article, a movie, TV show, song, an app, anything. Nicole or Dr. Young, anything come to mind? (laughs) Do you have one yet, Dr. Young? I do have one. It popped up this weekend and it's the Land of Oz. So on the Discovery Channel several years ago, they did an article, news article on abandoned theme parks. And one of them was the Land of Oz, which was from 1970. It's got a gold, it's got a yellow brick road and the munchkins and all of it, right? And it was abandoned and they kind of toured this abandoned area. Well, it's reopened. Someone has purchased it. And for three weeks in this month of September coming up, three weekends, um, they will open Land of Oz and Dorothy and Toto and the Tin Man and the Lion. And everyone's going to be there in costume <laughs> and, and it's a gardens. And then they have different activities and different things to do. And it's in Beach Mountain. It's on Beach Mountain, and it, which is in Boone, North Carolina. And ah. I have spent the weekend obsessing over flights, uh, <laughs> what the closest airport is, yes. which if anyone wants to know, it's Charlotte. <laughs> and then it's a two hour either bus ride or the, you sometimes, you know, drive to Beach Mountain. But fun fact, I was Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz many, many, many (laughs) moons ago. And so I have always had this fascination with The Wizard of Oz because there's no place like home. So So true. That is my area of interest right now. I want to get there and go. I want to go dance down the yellow brick road. <laughs> yeah. awesome. Because, 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 because. Yes. <laughs> because of the wonderful things. Okay. Is. We're going to try to find an article or something connected to this, and we'll put it in the show notes, because now I'm going to have to go. I know. Well, Re- you know Go what? down a rabbit hole. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and my consistent poster on my wall growing up was a Wizard of Oz movie poster. Yes. I mean, I can still see it on my wall growing up. Mm-hmm. The other, we have a shared connection, Claire, which is that part of what we want our podcast to be is peeking behind the curtain. 
So we have often thought of The Wizard of Oz as, you know, kind of the metaphor for what we're hoping to do with this podcast. Absolutely. They even have like the Emerald City and the wizard and everything. Ooh, do they have flying monkeys? (laughs) They do. They said, like in the article that I read, it says they have flying monkeys. I'm like, what? That's so great. (laughs) This is I love it. So good. Oh, my goodness. What about you, Claire? Okay. I was thinking about this earlier, and the thing I'll mention is I saw this documentary, I think it was on Hulu, for Ivana Trump, who recently passed away. And it was interesting because I was talking about her legacy, and I honestly didn't know much about her. I mean, I, I know, like, I can think of the images of her growing up, like, big hair, very gaudy, you know, uh, fabulous. But then hearing about her story, coming from a communist country, marrying Donald Trump, sort of building his empire. And it was really interesting because she just seemed like a no-nonsense woman, like, I'm going to get it done. It doesn't matter that I'm an immigrant. And it was, I liked hearing her story. The only thing I thought that was missing, because it makes you think about your legacy, is they didn't talk much about how she gave back and like charity work or anyone she helped. And I was like, you know, that's important. So and it makes me think about my legacy and the things we leave behind. So I appreciate that she was a strong businesswoman. I wish she would have volunteered more. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of all this volunteer work that we do. Right. Okay, I don't have an exciting one, but I will say I have become re-obsessed with Law and Order. So I just cannot quit with those reruns. So I have started Law and Order SVU from season one. Because uh, yeah. I don't think I watched it way back then. So I just, it's terrible, but I will play Sudoku and watch Law and Order. And that is the way I unwind lately. So that's, that's my good. attention mention, little old thing. But, <laughs> you know, it's on Peacock. If anybody wants to watch old Law and Order, it's all there. Fun. All the seasons you could ever want. Okay. SVU, Criminal Intent, Regular Law and Order, it's all there. SVU. Yeah, SVU, which one. I think has what, 22 <laughs> seasons or something insane. So So good. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Young. We're definitely going to go look into the land of Oz. Yes. That sounds amazing. And yeah, we encourage folks, if you have any thoughts on education, follow what's happening with the State Board of Education. Feel free to reach out to your representatives because they are there to represent us and they're listening. So make your voice heard. That's all we can really do. And and maybe we can run for office one day too. But this is a good place to start. It's a great place to start. Thank you, Dr. Young, so, so much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com, where you'll find links to all of our social media, and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks everybody and have a good one.